Welcome. You have entered the realm of 1111 Talk Radio. Your host is Simron. It's time to discover your own language with the universe. Empower yourself, broaden your mind, open your heart, and discover who you are. Now, here's your host, Simron. Happy 1212 Portal. It is a time to open to your authentic self. The energies are high today for you to really step into what resonates true for you. And also, we are going through a Mercury retrograde that is opening up, which means a deeper insight and exploration within yourself, tapping into your subconscious mind and exploring what is behind you so that you can move forward. And no better time than us approaching year 2024. I think today's show will be quite insightful in that beginning exploration as you dive into Mercury Retrograde and open to today's portal. We often have questions that we all as human beings will ask ourselves at some point or another, and they tend to be questions like, why am I here? What's my purpose? Um, what What is I supposed to do in this world? Um, where do we go when we die? Things like that tend to be the more conscious questions And then there's another set of questions which were featured in this book that for some individuals might be the existential conscious questions, but I would think for all of humanity, rumble beneath the surface of us, kind of stirring within us in that exploration. And it is certain that our body is helping in that exploration, whether it is leaning more towards our health and wellness or whether it is pointing us there with our chronic illness and dis-ease. I want you to sit back and take a breath and just listen to these five questions as we get started with the show. Am I alone in life or am I in synchrony with nature and with others? Is my presence in the world sustainable? Can the boundary between life and death be abided? Am I oriented in space and time? Will the insurrection of my birth prove fruitful? Today we are talking about the emotional roots of chronic illness, homeopathy for existential stress. And my guest is Jerry Cantor. And before I introduce him, I want to mention that for the past 200 years, homeopathy has created a strong and solid foundation of proof for its effectiveness, not only for common acute and chronic illnesses, but even for the great scourges of humanity, cholera and yellow fever, the plague and the Spanish flu. In the homeopathic hospitals and clinics of the 19th century, meticulous patient records noted in quaint and crabbed cursive the apparently miraculous cures of homeopathic medicines. Homeopathy is applicable to existential psychology, healthcare policy, and human development. It is also a globally popular form of medicine integral to the healthcare systems of many countries. According to the World Health Organization, homeopathy is the second most widely practiced form of medicine in the world. This is a really fascinating book that we're going to dive into, and it has ties to Chinese medicine, to the elements to the organs, to the body, and to the senses. And when we notice that all of these things are connected, 
and that we have our own cycles and rhythms, all of a sudden there becomes a deeper understanding not only of who we are, but the greater expanse that our body is in connection to the rest of the world. My guest today is Jerry Cantor, and he is a faculty member of the Ontario College of Homeopathic Medicine and owner of Vital Force Healthcare, a Boston-area homeopathy and acupuncture practice. The first acupuncturist to receive an academic appointment at Harvard Medical School's Department of Anesthesiology, Cantor is the author of Interpreting Chronic, Interpreting Chronic Illness, The Toxic Relationship Cure, and Autism Reversal Toolbox, and The Emotional Roots of Chronic Illness, Homeopathy for Existential Stress. There's one other book. It's called Sane Asylum. So you definitely want to check him out and all of his books. But today, we are going to drive, dive right into The Emotional Roots of Chronic Illness. Welcome, Jerry, to 1111 Talk Radio. Thank you so much, Simran. Pleasure to be here. Boy, was that a lovely introduction. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this is a lovely book. It's really quite thorough and deep and has introduced me uh, into a view of homeopathy and also our psychology, our existentialism in a completely new way. So I'm looking forward to the conversation. One line right in the beginning of the book, which was really fascinating to me was homeopathy engages and invokes the subconscious mind. Talk a little bit about that because that ends up being really powerful and almost in a way satisfying and uh, bringing a feeling of safety that something can actually work on a part of us that we don't know yet. Gee, um, that's really (laughs) garden variety homeopathy. Um, if, if we weren't engaging the subconscious when we take someone's case, uh, if we just went by what the client was saying, um, it would be very superficial indeed. The art of taking someone's case involves uh, figuring out what the person does not want to tell you, what the symptoms are saying that the person is not saying. I mean, if they could figure it out for themselves, they wouldn't need a homeopath. Um, it would be like taking a car to a mechanic when you knew everything about the car yourself already. So um, these these existential questions that you raise pretty much at the beginning of the book and, and they course throughout the book as, as what is tied together, they are these dilemmas or quandaries and they have certain characteristics. Can you share some of the, the three characteristics and why they are such an integral thread throughout this entire book? The, the, the questions or the yes. quandaries? Yeah. Um, Boy, I'm just diving right in. Um, well, the questions represent our, our way of just sort of talking about the existential quandaries themselves, which I relate to the deep themes of the five classical miasms, miasms in homeopathy, um, which involve uh, something called Sora, which is the, the itch, which the founder of homeopathy thought was the primordial disease. And then there is um, um, gonorrhea and syphilis, and cancer. So they, all these diseases, uh, we, don't, we don't look at them just as something randomly occurring. There's a, there's a quandary that's attached to them that uh, is b- built into the human condition. And um, it, unless we resolve it, uh, we are prone to, to have illness a- along those lines. And each of those quandaries, I also can relate to what in Chinese medicine are the five elements or the five phases. And the other connection is to the five senses 
And this is um, derived from my study of Chinese medicine because I'm an acupuncturist. So it's kind of like creating a – the Ch- Chinese medicine offers a template on which you can superimpose the remedies and um, study their themes and sort of map them out according to these principles within Chinese medicine. Um, that's I, I've been study, I studied philosophy in college and graduate school, and I like to – be systematic in, in that sort of thing. That said, it's not a rigid system, and there's there's plenty of room for for plenty of wiggle room to to um, expand the parameters of it. Um, but people like to know. Um, people really appreciate knowing why they are sick. They don't like to just uh, wait. These days, we just go to the doctor and we take a lot of tests, and and uh, we're told they're inconclusive. Come back for another test, and we have the idea that um, everything's kind of random. And I, I think uh, that that creates a state of fear in people, and which is itself pathological. And I enjoy explaining to people what their what their like my clients what their illness represents, what their symptoms are saying, interpreting them uh, through the tools of Chinese medicine and uh, what we know about the, the deep themes or the remedies that the people need. So that's liberating in and of itself. Um, I'm not sure. Did I answer your question? <laughs> you did. You did. And you brought up a point that I'd like to go into a little deeper because we, we do have people that, and they tend to be those that are more of the alternative persuasion that, that do access uh, methodologies such as acupuncture and other um, more alternative or natural ways. They do tend to dig into the psychology and the emotion and uh, all that is involved in creating disease. And then we also live in this Western world where a large majority of the population just wants the quick fix. They just want the medicine. They just want to t- pop the pill. They want to take something to make it go away and would rather stay uh, unconscious. And and they're even unconscious that they want to stay unconscious. <laughs> you know, it's kind of this thing of just fix me because I need to get on with with life. And so when it comes to this type of exploration and we're looking at a disease and it can be looked at from both the preventative, okay, if I I really look at myself and read this book and look at myself in these ways and access the methods and things that you're mentioning, then I can work more towards prevention or I've got the disease and now I can have a better understanding of what has gotten me here and then it gives me a greater experience of my human journey as I work through this. You write in the book that homeopathy as antivenom. And I want to break that down, not just from the homeopathic use of what's prescribed, but also the overall holistic look at something as that antivenom. Can you explain that statement a bit more and give an understanding of how um, the combination of what you're suggesting through this book will help an individual have more awareness. Oh, specifically about the, the exp- expression, expression anti-venom? Yes. Um, okay. Um, you know, one of the key questions I've, I ask people is, uh, what is your hot button? That's a fantastic question. What's, what situation makes you un- most uncomfortable? Um, it can be asked two ways. You can, I can also ask... What are you like when you're most, most bent out of shape? If I saw you really upset, what would I see? Um, so in other words, no matter what they're coming, what condition they're coming in, in with, uh, if they want prevention or if they want the condition treated, I sort of step outside that and I ask, what's your hot button? What situation is, is the most upsetting for you? Um, 
And if I, again, get the other way around, if I, if I saw you most upset, would I be seeing you raising your voice? Would you be screaming? Would you be withdrawing? Would you be drawn to going for a walk or, or get a drink? Um, do you slam a door? Uh, do you write a poem? And then, you know, what would immediately precede that? What that would be your hot button or your trigger? Um, that, that question gives a lot of information about somebody that they, they you know, they, I, I, I don't need them, them to sit down and, and describe their symptoms. I'm not interested in their diagnosis. That particular question is, is very useful. It gives me a window in, into what's going on with the person, and then I can pursue it with other, other questions. So the remedy, uh, you know, describing how homeopathy works, metaphors are very useful. So let's say, you know, antivenom, as opposed to, to that, well, as an expression of that, a remedy is kind of a permission slip to the subconscious to deal with a particular issue that it has avoided. In fact, the, and the avoidance of it is what has made them sick. So, you know, homeopathy, uh, homeopaths invented the vaccination and, uh, that's a very direct way of, 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 uh, of, preventing, of preventing illness. You give somebody a small dose of a, similar, of a, of a condition similar to what you're trying to, to prevent. The original one was uh, cowpox to prevent, um, to prevent smallpox. If you, if you get a, a case of smallpox, like the, the milkmaids got, um, it was found that they, would, they were not susceptible to smallpox. The, the actual venoms that are uh, antivenoms that are that are used in, in conventional medicine, you know, require a middleman or a middle horse because you, you create the antibodies within a horse and then you ex extract um, the, 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 the substance and make, make the uh, vaccine from that. Homeopathy is more direct because we actually deal with, um, first of all, there's no middle, middle man or middle horse whatsoever. We are trying to figure out what the person is allergic to at the existential level, so to speak. And then the remedy is operates something like you know along the lines of of of, of this vaccine um if you're but, but it's much much more specific than than a vaccination vaccines everybody gets the same thing and quite a large amount of it in homeopathy um each remedy is kind of a, a very highly personalized vaccine or i would liken it more to a permission slip to the subconscious that says hey you know look at this this is this is so similar to what's been going on with you in a gross amount the substance that this is, this is made from, and the gross amounts of it, would produce the symptoms in healthy people and also would exaggerate the existential problem that, that you've got at a subconscious level. And so the remedy, I'm giving you a lot of information here, but these are all useful metaphors, tricks the vital force, which is the subconscious imbued with physical characteristics, into uh, converting that into something uh, which has a beginning, beginning, a middle, and an end, which is a, like something like an acute illness. Um, so, <laughs> kind of an elaborate way of describing how you know you're working from the metaphor of the antivenom. In, in, in society today, uh, we have normalized chronic illness to an alarming extent. Um, we have good days and bad days, and we have we we accept all kinds of conditions. We accept depression, we accept as asthma, uh, all kinds of things because we have these medications that can suppress our symptoms. But we go from one to the other and we kind of, you know, hang, along, hang on with this way of working for a long, long time, but it never really deals with the core problem. Um, and yet we're terif terrified <clears throat> of acute illness. Um, what are you taking for that? Oh my God, you sneezed. Uh, you, you shouldn't have that. What, what are you allergic to? So homeopathy uh, converts a chronic problem into something like an acute problem so that as to get to the other side of it. The good thing about an acute illness is it has a beginning, a middle, and an end, and you resolve it. So all these metaphors are kind of useful.
It's like comparing the Cold War to a hot war that solves a short hot war that solves maybe a border problem permanently. Whereas the Cold War, um, every day you've got the stress of this particular kind of a potential conflict. It's always on, always there, and uh, that has long-term detrimental effect on 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 folks. Um, anyway, the chronic normalizing chronic illness um, is very good for the economy. It really it really fuels a fantastic pharmaceutical industry with all this you know profit motives. Um, if if people thought that they could just get well by just having little episodes of, of acute illness and never needing any medication, I wonder if they would choose that. You know, um, I often wondered that when I practice more acupuncture, what would happen to the pharmaceutical industry if people just went for acupuncture whenever they 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 felt run down or just uh, a week or ha- had some things uh, cropping up. You probably could take your arm, go to the go to the CVS and knock all the all the remedies, all the drugs off the shelves. And um, people would would be perfectly fine, you know. Overall, um, wow! I don't know. I, I went I off agree. quite a tangent there. <laughs> well, no, I loved all that you shared, and I loved the fact that you you did provide so many metaphors because I think that makes it very tangible for many people. I know that I I utilize a, a chiropractic internist and an acupuncturist, and between the two of them, I don't ever have to take any medications or or see a doctor of any other sort. So. I do believe very much in these these different types. I also ha- see through the book you utilize Greek mythology, and in particularly uh, the existentialist ideology Avatar, which is the myth of Sisyphus throughout. And in utilizing that mythology, I also saw quite a few different diagrams that illustrate a cycle that tends to happen. This I found fascinating because I released a trilogy myself last year about dealing with the different things that come up in life, but really sitting with them and allowing the body to decondition as opposed to having to go out and do anything externally to try to correct what I was feeling or experiencing or thinking yes, yes. or emoting. And so seeing all that, it, it brought me to the the same place as where you are bringing people through homeopathy, which I found was fascinating because in my book, it ended up having to do with the elements and the senses, and it was cyclical like that. Can you talk a little bit about both the use of the myth of Sisyphus and also the cyclical nature of both uh, these uh, cycles and rhythms when it comes to elements and um, the senses in dealing with the existential stress and the chronic illnesses. Yeah, Simran, you know, uh, this book um, that we're talking about now is actually a sequel to my very first book, which was Interpreting Chronic Illness, The Convergence of uh, Homeopathy, Traditional Medicine, and Biomedicine. And in that book, at the end, uh, I created something. Um, people haven't paid much attention to it, but it's, it's exactly what you're talking about. It is a mandala that you can create for yourself to assess your existential health and your your health with respect to these um, what I call you know five sense dimensions because this my analysis of of uh, of these of, of chronic illness was along the lines of the of these sense dimensions each of the five senses being you know also having a particular very unique qualities so anyway if you want to sit with this issue and figure out how you are, uh, what your illness susceptibilities are in existential terms, you could take that chapter out. It's actually free up at my, my website. You can download the uh, chronic, the, um, the self-diagnosis mandala 
you, and then you would ask, answer the questions and to determine how much of a charge such as such such and such a quandary has, and you, you would you would you would get a sense, of, you would get a, a mandala completely personalized that shows you where your where your issues are and what you can work with, and uh, you could do that man, create that mandala, uh, you know, from time to time, every few months or every few years, and see what has changed um, for yourself in terms of of your illness susceptibility. I don't have that in this particular book. It's in my first one. But yeah, um, even apart from home taking a remedy, if you sit with those 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 quandaries and see, you know, determine for yourself what the charge of them is, um, you will you will be doing a meditation actually, just like is is done in, in other spiritual traditions where you you have a mandala that you you meditate on. Um, well, anyway, the five the, it, uh, a mandala is circular, and the energy is is cyclical. Um, which is to say that when we are born and we become, you know, we, we, we are infants and then we become adolescents and then adults and then uh, middle-aged people and, and, and then elderly people and then we die, that's not the end of it. Uh, from the standpoint of the five phases, that's actually when you get to the end point and you die it's actually, and you, you have rebirth, you will see that this, you come right back, <laughs> come back and have to go through the cycle again. But because we evolve, it's, it's of course happens at a higher level for the most part, and um, yeah, I mean, all, all the deep traditions have this cyclical idea around existence. It certainly isn't boom, you die, you die, and that's the end of things. Which unfortunately is an unfortunate interpretation in in, in the West, which lacks seems to lack uh, spiritual grounding. There definitely is a psychic excavation that takes place as someone engages homeopathy because because like you said you ask those questions and then it becomes more about not just what the person's experiencing but what what led to that experience and oftentimes our life circumstances even before an illness comes on board is very much like rolling a boulder up a hill kind of like the myth of Sisyphus uh, illustrates throughout that so as we are rolling that boulder up the hill where is the place to start? Do these questions start to arise and, and these issues start to arise with a beginning point? Or do we, do we kind of find ourselves in the cycle somewhere and then kind of have to close it out? Yeah, we find ourselves within the cycle. And with, with homeopathic care, you know, what you wind up dealing with, um, you know, it changes. Uh, there's really not any that much logic to when you what what progresses from one level from one remedy to the next. You you may you may go forward or backward in that cycle. Uh, that's not particularly important. Um, you know, maybe it would be best. This this is getting kind of abstract. Would it be okay if I just sort of went through a case history or two? That would and, be great. And, and, yes, uh, yes. Let's it, do it's, that. It would be a, a lot a lot more clear. I think if I if I did a case with which which exhibited existential themes and, and give an idea of how the case taking case taking goes that might be more might be more clear I think that would be uh, I think that would be great I know we don't have much time at the end of this segment uh, so we'll start the next segment off that way perhaps okay. we can talk a little bit about the inborn toolkit of the five emotions okay that would be speak great a little bit about what the five emotions are and how they relate to the elements sure thing. yep and you write in traditional Chinese medicines five phase theory a rudimental psychological model is presented within which five basic emotions, each of which is aligned with a particular phase, are contained. And in this, joy aligns with fire, anxiety aligns, 
uh, with earth. Sadness aligns with metal. Fear aligns with water. Anger aligns with wood. I'd love for you to expand on any anything there. Yeah. Okay. This is this is a lot of fun. This is a really uh, maybe to me, to me the simplest part of the book because it it comes from Chinese medicine. Chinese psychology is not particularly deep, so we can we can work with these uh, these these five tools you know very easily. The 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 book as a whole gets much more sophisticated around these questions. But the the, the toolbox model is is very very accessible. Okay. So. Um, I liken each of the emotions, the five core emotions, to a tool. Uh, tools are something that you use when you need them, and then you put them away when you're when you're done. You should never feel like you should never need a tool or overuse one particular tool. And just imagine that you're hiring a contractor um, or a plumber or someone, and uh, he or she shows up at your door and says, "Glad to be here, but uh, I've decided I'm just not going to use my screwdriver today. Every I just can't stand my screwdriver. I'm just going to use." A couple of other tools. You say, "What's the matter with you? Get out of here! I'm going to get a different plumber." Or someone's a, a, a carpenter shows up and says, um, "I'm only going to use my hammer today. I'm not going to use any other tool. That's that's it. I hope it works out." And you say, "Get out of here! This is no good." Anyway, in, even in conventional psychology, we have this term of catharsis that emotions should be cathartic. They should solve a problem, and that's that's akin to what I'm talking about. But let's go through the analogies because they, 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 I think they, they, fl they fly pretty well. So I have um, the sketch pad of happiness or joy. So when we're in a good state and we're optimistic about life, we put our, we have, it's like we have a sketch pad. We put down our goals on there. We, it's the things that we look forward to, things we want to do. And um, now if all you do is dream about what you're going to do, just keep writing more and more things down there. Um, and uh, you don't ever do anything with that, well, you're overusing your sketch pad. You should put it away at some point and then operationalize what you want to do. So there's a remedy for people who over, overuse their sketch pad. Um, that would be the remedy sulfur, for example. It's kind of a normal state for children, small children. They have lots of ideas that touch everything. They wander around. Um, and that's, and they're, they've, it's also a remedy for people who are the center of attention. They just ex expect to be appreciated for who they are. There's not a whole lot of concern for the for others, but that's normal for a, a toddler. But if if that if that state uh, also creates in them uh, excess of you know skin conditions, or they then become intolerant of heat, and they just have kind of a, a messy a messy kind of appearance, their their intelligence is not well, well consolidated. Their ideas are not well consolidated. In an adult who needs the remedy sulfur and is in that state, it's like they have an, uh, an inefficient furnace inside themselves, which off-gasses and uh, produces a lot of ideas, but kind of turns them into a mad scientist. And they would be gassy and have all kinds of digestive complaints, and, too. Anyway, that's someone who's overusing this sketch pad of happiness. The opposite of that would be someone who just is depressed and uh, feels that there's no point to things, just, is, just has given up on being hopeful and uh, can't think of any, any purpose in life. So her sketchpad or her sketch sketchpad is crumpled up and grimy in uh, in their in their pocketbook or their pocket. They're just not using it, and that would be a remedy like sepia uh, for people who've found that hope has become toxic. A number of women need this, where these a marriage has gone sort of sour, and uh, there's a half-heartedness that uh, that goes to everything. So you can sort of see that metaphor uh, works, that you can find remedies on both sides of that existential divide. So that's the second, really really fast. I'm gonna break us for uh, this segment, and we will come back and learn about the rest of the toolbox. Jerry okay. Cantor is a philosopher of medicine, and he explains how identifying a default emotional response, such as anxiety or anger, 
along with its accompanying physical symptoms, can determine the core existential stress or heredity pattern underlying a chronic condition. For each of the five classical miasms and their associated physical and emotional conditions, Jerry presents homeopathic remedies that modify the impact of specific existential quandaries and explains their indications through the detailed examples from his practice. We are talking today about the book, The Emotional Roots of Chronic Illness, Homeopathy for Existential Stress. You can also grab that chapter he mentioned earlier in the episode at vitalforcehealthcare.com. Otherwise, pick up any of his books and specifically, specifically this one, The Emotional Roots of Chronic Illness, Homeopathy for Existential Stress. We'll be right back with Jerry Cantor after these messages. Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Have you seen 1111? Do you wonder why certain numbers keep showing up in your life? 11, 111, 22, 33, 444. People all over the world are seeing 1111 and learning the language of universal communication. Subscribe to 1111 Magazine today, www.1111mag.com. 1111 Magazine is a bi-monthly print publication that offers a rich, multi-sensory experience. As you engage with experts and topics of consciousness, become enlightened, empowered, and energized so you live a passionate and authentic life of conscious choices. 1111 Magazine, a daily staple for lifting the mindset, discovering the heart, and stepping into conscious living. 1111 Magazine. Order now at www.1111mag.com. 1111mag.com. Do you want more? More joy, more abundance, more power and presence? How would it feel to have more loving relationships? more empowered community, greater fulfillment, and life purpose? The 1111 Mastermind Community inspires, empowers, guides, and supports transformation. Shift your mind, expand your heart, deepen insights, let go and chart a new course, dream a new dream. The 1111 Mastermind Community is an online portal for personal transformation and soulful expansion. Go to courses.1111mag.com. That's courses.1111mag.com. Change begins with you. Let it be simple, convenient, and transformative. The time is now. Step through the 1111 gateway. Courses.1111mag.com. Live up to your fullest potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel. You are listening to 1111 Talk Radio. Simron is an award-winning author, publisher of 1111 Magazine, powerful speaker of wisdom, and a life mentor. Find out more at imsimron.com. Now, back to 1111 Talk Radio. Before we get back with Jerry Cantor and his book, The Emotional Roots of Chronic Illness, I want to excitedly mention 
that Conversations with the Universe, How the World Speaks to Us, is now on Audible. I was so excited to record that book and really thrilled with the feedback of individuals that are accessing it. So I invite you to go to Audible and download yours. It's a great way to end the year and begin the new year by discovering all the ways that the world is speaking to you. We have signs and symbols that come through everything, including our homes and our cars, our children and our pets, the people we meet, the experiences we have. The universe is having a conversation with you. Are you listening? Are you sensing? Are you hearing? Are you seeing? Go find out more by going to Audible and getting your copy of Conversations with the Universe. Homeopathy engages and invokes the subconscious mind, a fully taken case of existential torment featuring constant worry, anxiety, depression, loss of motivation, exhaustion, and diminished social interaction includes physical symptoms that, when interpreted, are clues to subconscious thinking. By signifying an existential ailment's cause, physical symptoms dictate the course of treatment. Astute psychologists and therapists on occasion also take note of the physical symptoms. But other than referring the client to a physician, little use of these is made. For most physicians and therapists, acknowledging the subconscious and its pathology is one thing, the purging of inner demons another matter. Yet homeopathic experience with existentially rooted ailments reveals that the subconscious mind and inherited mindsets are amenable to change. My guest today is Jerry Cantor, and he has written a fascinating book titled The Emotional Roots of Chronic Illness, Homeopathy for Existential Stress. You can find out more by going to uh, either Right Wheel Press or simonandschuster.com and finding that book. Additionally, you can go to Vital for vitalforcehealthcare.com to connect with Jerry. And I want to list out all of his books, which are Sane Asylum, Interpreting Chronic Illness, The Toxic Relationship Cure, and Autism Reversal Toolbox. And of course, the one we're discussing today, which is The Emotional Roots of Chronic Illness. I also want to mention that he will be releasing as of January a new newsletter on Substack. And it is titled Automentus Humanoid Psychology Review. So if you are interested in AI, definitely check that out because I'm certain it will be fascinating. Jerry, welcome back. I want to have you continue on. You had talked about the sketch pad and the two sides of that. And um, I'd love for you to go ahead and go through the rest of the tools in our toolbox. My pleasure. Oh, by the way, I, I also just recently learned, learned that this book is uh, Emotional Roots is an audio book. Wonderful. As well. So if people like to listen to books in there in the car without sitting down to read, it's available. Um, yeah, I'll continue with these, this metaphor, this, this very basic but very useful um, comparison of the emotions to tools. So the second tool would be the, sc the screwdriver of, of anxiety. Um, and by the way, la you know, lang language is, is, is very useful in terms of, uh, of, of this. Um, anytime an idiom is created, we, you know, something, a truth is, is embedded in language, there's there's something to that. It's, it's not a random thing. We'll come to that when I talk about the pliers of grief, because they become gripped by, gripped by fear. I'm sorry, the pliers of fear. But anyway, the screwdriver of anxiety, um, when, we, when we're bearing down on something, to use a screwdriver, you kind of have to bear down on one particular spot and you know, press and turn the screwdriver. Um, so anxiety, a lot of people think, oh, I never want to be anxious. That's a mistake. Um, if you're in the forest and you're starving, your anxiety will keep you from, from being poisoned if you'd want to taste, you know, see a mushroom there. 
uh, maybe the, your anxiety will prevent you from eating the whole thing. Maybe the eating the tiniest amount of it, you could determine if it's bad for you or not. Um, so the point of anxiety is to is to uh, get you through a, a, a stressful situation just you know just just long enough to, to know whether to eat a mushroom or not, or you know uh, it will also fuel a high level of performance. If you're overly anxious and you can't, if it prevents you from doing anything, then you may need a remedy like arsenicum. Um, which is made from arsenic. Homeopathic remedies are made from bad things because remember, they treat what they cause. It's not like you're going to be actually poisoned by arsenic. But if you have, if someone who has been poisoned by actual arsenic, they get a presentiment of death. They feel like there's not much time. They have to take care of the people in their circle of love. Um, they're just, you know, they're concerned about aging and they become perfectionistic and their anxiety will inhibit them from doing all kinds of things. So that would be one prime remedy on one side of that divide. If you, if you have not enough anxiety and you tend to do things recklessly, then you might need a remedy like metarhinum. And uh, in that case, you might be burning this candle at both ends and just doing things in a reckless fashion. There's much more I can say about that remedy, but I won't for just now. Just talking about how the screwdriver of anxiety is, again, like a tool that you use just to solve a problem, and then you put it away when it's done. Um, many great performers, you know, get incredibly anxious before they go on, on the stage. And that anxiety fuels a high level of performance in basketball. Bill, Bill Russell always vomited before he went on the basketball court and then he was fine. He performed really well. Um, the third tool I just alluded to before is the, oh, I didn't talk about the hacksaw of, of sadness. We'll come to the fires of fear momentarily. So sometimes what's, what happens when someone close to us dies or we've had a significant loss? Um, some people get over it really quickly, and some are just uh, completely caught up in, in the loss, and they cannot let it go. So I've likened um, the tool here to a hacksaw. A hacksaw cuts things off. At some point, um, we have to accept the loss, and that would mean that the hacksaw has cut through. If all you do is cry and cry and cry, um, and you need a remedy like pulsatilla because you, you're just constantly feeling the state of grief, uh, the loss, well, you're overusing the hacksaw of, grief, your hacksaw of grief. If you can't use it at all and you need a remedy like Natrum Muriaticum, um, these are for folks who something really serious has happened and they cannot cry. Why is that? Well, they feel like these are, these are people enmeshed in a kind of a good girl, a good boy syndrome. They feel like if they cry, they'll cry forever and that would be no good. They would draw too much attention to themselves. Or if they got past the grief, are you kidding me? That would dishonor the loss. This is way too big. So people like that become very self-contained, and uh, they cannot use the hacksaw of grief. They're they're like countries that send all their all their energy to the periphery, and inside is 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 tender and and overly sensitive. They they want a connection with someone, but it's also they also have to keep it at arm's length. That's a famous a grief remedy for, for entrenched grief, and that harms the fluid metabolism of the body. Uh, moving right along, I'll come to the pliers of fear. The, as I said, language is very useful. Why do we say we're gripped by fear? Well, we should be gripped by fear as if held, held, in the, held by a pair of pliers just long enough to know whether to fight or run away. It's, it's, perfectly, it's perfectly okay. But once this problem is solved, you put your pliers, your pliers away and you move on. So there are remedies for people who are uh, constantly fearful. Um, every, every situation um, makes them worry. And uh, they're just overusing the pliers of fear. And again, there are people who are, uh, again, are just just not you know very fearless, and uh, they do outrageous things. 
I don't think I have time to go through all the remedies. Anyway, the, one of the best examples will come of, of how this works was, will be when I talk about the hammer of anger. Um, this is a really a very vivid example, and I will give you a, a remedy around that. So we know how hammers work. If the nail is sticking up, you take your hammer out, and you smash it down, and then you put your hammer away. Um, you know, there are people who in, in a healthful state will say, you know, get, have a, have a, get explosive and feel much better after they've, 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 uh, they've vented. I, that, that feels really good. You know, someone has comes into your room and makes fun of you and insults you. Say, get the heck out of here. Who the hell do you think you are? Huh, that solved the problem. Got rid of that person. I feel much better. Now, there are people who are angry when you bother them, but they're also angry if you just look at them wrong. Um, this might be the case of someone who has been terrified in a war situation and or has as a child has been subject, you know, watched something horrifying and terrifying. And in, in consequence of that, the rage is a rage that comes out of them that is uh, survival oriented. It's something that they have to do at, at a subconscious level. It's, they don't know why it's happening. Uh, people with these hair trigger tempers or people who have come from come uh, from out of a war and now have PTSD. They have a rage that uh, is just absolutely hair trigger, they, then they, they don't have any control over it. Once again, it is subconscious. And the remedy for someone like that would be uh, stramonium datura, a fantastically important remedy. I can't understand why they don't have it at the VA for a lot of these, a lot of the veterans with uh, PTSD. Um, the fear there is that you, you know, have, you've been abandoned in the wilderness. You've been absolutely abandoned. And, and just the terror is incredible. And the rage is the compensation for that. Now, getting back to the hammer, they're overusing the hammer. There's another remedy which is extremely important and this metaphor works so well for. Ever meet people who uh, just cannot, cannot express their anger, they speak in a soft tone of voice. If they're pushed against the wall, they will just cry or they'll, they'll go into their room. It's just completely forbidden to have your anger. They, they suppress their indignation. And this is much more typical of women who have been brought up to to, to uh, be seen and not be heard. And now the upside of that state is that uh, they're very dignified, they're very invested in honor. If the whole world needed the remedy that I'm gonna talk about, the world would be a better place. Be, much more diplomacy would occur, occur. But the remedy is staphysagria. And people who need that, again, it's often women. Um, it's not that they don't, well, what they have, the experience is vexation. Vexation is the dysfunctional cousin of anger. It does not solve a problem. It's like when your hands turn into a claw and you go, ah, you know, or you displace your anger, you throw something, or you retreat to your room, or you slam a cabinet. But you, and it, if you, my, my go-to question when I'm confirming that remedy is, how do you feel after you get angry? Do you feel better or worse? Invariably, they say they feel worse. And that's because they've been taught to, that any kind of expression of, of natural anger will result in something um, cataclysmic or terrible violence. They've taught, been taught that. And uh, the fallout from that when you need that remedy is you tend to have headaches that are in the forehead. You are, you are uh, prone to urinary tract infections. It relates to all kinds of eye problems. And by the way, the eyes in Chinese medicine are the uh, opening of the liver. And the liver in Chinese medicine is all about anger. Is the emotion there. So what's happening here, these people are using the wrong end of the hammer. It's not that they're not using it, but the opposite, wrong end of the hammer is that claw part, which digs away at themselves. So if, when a situation would call for solu solving a problem of that anger could solve, instead they, they dig away at themselves, thinking that they're to blame in some particular way. And staphysagria is uh, existentially and medically absolutely wonderful. It, it liberates them. By the way, when I give that remedy to women and I explain it to them, 
very often they'll say, Jerry, are you going to turn me into a bitch? It's, it's a sad thing. I say, no, um, you will simply develop a natural relationship to your anger. Nobody will, will, bother, will be bothered by your, by your erupting when something is wrong. They're probably more bothered by the fact that you, you, know, you turn on yourself so much. That's a hard, hard sort of thing to be around. And so um, that's the story with that, that, particular, that particular tool. Jerry, um, can I ask a question right here? Yeah. Um, so, and let's use this example, the anger uh, that you mm-hmm. just just gave, or this tool that you just gave. So for parents that are listening, if they have a child that is having this, like these remedies that you talk about throughout the book, are they the types of remedies that can be given to any age, can be given to anyone? Do they, is there a certain element of anger that has to be reached for people to then have these specific remedies? Talk a little bit about knowing when to actually go in that direction. Well, the best thing would be to have a relationship with a homeopath because I'm, I'm giving these small examples. These, these, there actually are you know, many, many dozens of remedies that have rage attached to them. And you never prescribe based on one particular, one particular symptom. The whole thing would have to t- be taken into account. Um, that said, it, it does not matter if it's a child or an adult um, the remedy state is what is what matters. Um, an experienced homeopath will see that these child's version of the same remedy state in adults or someone of, of any age. Um, but the giveaways, as I said, why I say you would you would better off having a, a homeopath, like someone who needs the remedy stramonium. If you have a, a child with an explosive rage, um, the homeopath's not going to say, okay, explosive rage, here take stramonium. The homeopath is going to want to know some other sometimes peculiar things. Children who need that remedy are also drawn to glittering, glittering objects, for example. Um, they, or they, their eyes would have a certain, certain coloration. Their speech, even when they're not in a rage, might have a beseeching quality to it. Um, things like that. If, and, or, uh, yeah, and you'd want to determine what the smoking gun is. Has this child been exposed to violence? Um, have the parents had abusive, you know, highly abusive fights in the, in the home? Um, and when and other when questions a, you might want to find takes, out is after after someone's enraged, are they remorseful or not? Okay, that could be a very quick key question. Some 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 children are absolutely without a conscience. I, I hate to say it, and they are not remorseful. And others will sob uncontrollably, uh, you know, out of remorse. And that will be a determining factor as to which remedy you need. So these are not the sort of things that uh, you would you would want to do on your own over the counter. Not not to mention which the remedies in a high potency would not be available to you. Uh, at 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 uh, the natural food store, most likely. And for individuals not familiar with homeopathic remedies, are there any side effects to these? Or are there um, incorrect dosages? You know, are there any contraindications? Is there anything that they could be um, concerned about? Well, that's the problem for the homeopath to solve. Um, first of all, we don't use the word side effects. We we can talk about aggravation symptoms or processing symptoms, because the remedy tricks you, as it tricks your vital force into converting a chronic problem into something acute, well, you're gonna have symptoms. You'll have something, something going on will be temporarily exaggerated, or the remedy may bring things up from the past. The side effects of drugs are something very different. This means the body is saying, I can't accommodate this, I can't assimilate this, please don't do this to me. And the doctor who has got to pay a lot of malpractice for the privilege of doing so, says, no, I, in my opinion, the good outweighs the bad. Take it again, take it again. 
Um, by the way, I cannot understand how the FDA um, can sanction drugs where the side effects are risk to cancer and 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 uh, stroke. They're routinely on these commercials for uh, for these for skin con- skin conditions. I mean, to me, if I was if I worked at the FDA, I would say that you know I, I don't care how, what this does for your skin condition. I, I don't think it's a good idea to create this level of risk. But somehow uh, the pharmaceutical companies have allowed this. And so, yeah, we live in a world where side effects are are acceptable and normalized. So as long as we can see images of people, you know, wandering around through nature and, and rowing boats and on beautiful lakes, <laughs> it's absolutely <laughs> astonishing to me. Um, anyway, but yeah, so the homeopath will will cheerlead you through the aggravation, explain what it means. Um, as I say, it usually it will in, involve something familiar. That's the difference between a homeopathic aggravation and a side effect. Something from the past, the, the vital force has been given permission to revisit the scene of the crime under more favorable circumstances. So something is exaggerated because it can now be dealt with. And something that should have happened probably long ago is now happening at, at a delayed time. So it's, if, if the remedy is correct, then uh, there's nothing to worry about. And the homeopath will know, will know the time frame of the remedy and um, be able to, t- to talk you through it. It does take some patience. I have to say, this is not the realm of the quick fix. This is the realm of this, in this, this level of treatment does require people to uh, not, not just go through an aggravation, but to, to be, be interested in, in, the, in, in, the, in the cause of the problem, which I, I always continue to liken to an existential quandary. And when you get to the other side of it, you, not only do you feel better, but you acquire a perspective on life on, and on your previous issue that you couldn't get otherwise, especially if you took a drug that just, just suppressed your symptoms and, and swept the problem under the rug. That's all very, very valuable information. We have uh, just about four minutes left in the show. I'd love for you to at least begin going through a scenario so that people can understand a little more of how this works. And then, uh, and then I urge everyone to get the book so that you can really dive into this more deeply. Again, the book title is The Emotional Roots of Chronic Illness, Homeopathy for Existential Stress. You can pick that up in paperback or now on Audible. Yes, Simran, thank you. Yes, I think an example is, is, probably, is probably the best. I'll, I'll get through the story of the, of the anorexic girl that I treated. Um, it's, it's pretty illuminating. So a client of mine said, can you, Jerry, um, can, you, can you help with this, child, this niece of mine? She has anorexia. Um, her life is in danger. She's down to 80 pounds and uh, they're going to throw her off the uh, gymnastics team in school and she's just completely in denial of this. I said, sure, bring her along. So the woman had the child's parents bring the child to me and this child was absolutely perfect in every way. She was a great student. All her friends loved her. Um, uh, just did everything perfectly. And I'm talking to her and I'm trying to find out, well, what do you, what's going on here? What do you say? She had no symptoms to report, except when I asked her about her stomach, she said, yeah, it does feel like my stomach is caving inwards. From that particular symptom, I, I decided that she needed the remedy I actually talked about before, which was um, um, arsenicum. So when you actually take a poison by genuine arsenic, arsenic what happens to, is in your body is that the circulation contracts pulls in inward. And as a result of that, the extremities get cold, but there's a burning sensation inside at the stomach. Now, existentially, I made another 
judgment here. I've decided that what this girl was trying to do, which is mad, the only symptom that was, all, all her pathology was concentrated here, she was trying to retreat back to the safety of the womb. And that was, at the, that was what was underlying her refusal to eat and her thinking that she's, it wasn't that she genuinely thought that she was fat, I think. Underneath that was a desire to return to the safety of the womb. Now, um, Freud will tell you that um, not eating and not breathing are really the same. They both happen through the, through the mouth. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a profound delusion that goes way back to, the, into infancy. Anyway, getting, just cutting, getting to the chase, um, I gave this girl arsenicum and a high potency of that. And a few weeks went by, and I hear from the aunt, uh, because the family is not communicating with me. I said, well, the aunt contacted me. He said, Jerry, the girl is eating. She's eating. I said, well, it's fantastic. What's going on? Well, I'd like to see her. Let's find out about that. And the, and the, and the aunt told me, they don't want to see you. They do not want to see you. I said, how come? Because the girl is also talking. So in the course of, of why she did this, she was the repository of various secrets in the family. And as long as she kept her mouth shut, the family ecology was stable. They didn't like the fact that now she was talking. She was undergoing a rebellion uh, that needed to happen. And one of my existential questions is, uh, did I have a successful rebellion? Was the insurrection of my birth fruitful? Um, they were furious at me because the whole family needed to go to a family therapist. Um, but the remedy exploded her, her uh, exploded this delusion that unless she kept her mouth shut, the family would fall apart. You remember I said that in the arsenicum state, you're deeply concerned about your circle of love, how everybody, in her delusional state, she felt that unless she was, she didn't eat, and she kept her mouth shut, both as, you know, in terms of speaking and eating, um, the, the family uh, would, have, would have come apart. So <laughs> that's, wow. that's a story from uh, homeopathy land that always left a big impression on me. And uh, there wasn't, um, <laughs> it's a great story, and I'm glad I saved her life. Um, but it is instructive because uh, it shows you how, how deep these kind of, these kind of things, um, these kind of remedies can work. It is a great story. And there are so many stories in the book that will help you understand this information and tap into parts of yourself. Once again, I'm going to share the five existential questions. Am I alone in life or am I in synchrony with nature and with others? Is my presence in the world sustainable? Can the boundary between life and death be abided? Am I oriented in space and time? Will the insurrection of my birth prove fruitful? In Jerry Cantor's book, he presents diagnostic insight, specific homeopathic remedies, and successful case study examples about the profound connections between emotions and their physical manifestations in illness. Jerry correlates the five classical miasms and their core existential quandaries with the five elements and phase theory of Chinese medicine. He likens inborn foundational emotionals, emotions to tools, each one designed to solve as stress-related problems. Self-sabotaging imbalances, energetic and physical, can occur when an emotional tool is excessively used, such as when a once-familiar stress is no longer present or underused, as when a stressful input is inadequately managed. The title of the book is The Emotional Roots of Chronic Illness, Homeopathy for Existential Stress. You can find out more about Jerry at vitalforcehealthcare.com. Be sure to look out for his release in January on Substack, uh, Automentus Humanoid Psychology Review. And you can pick up any of his books. They are Sane Asylum, Interpreting Chronic Illness, The Toxic Relationship Cure, 
Autism Reversal Toolbox, and The Emotional Roots of Chronic Illness. Thank you so much, Jerry, for being on 1111 Talk Radio. Until next week, I am Simran, in love, of love, with love, and as love. Be well. Thank you for opening your mind to a new reality, your heart to greater compassion, and your experience of aliveness with 1111 Talk Radio. Join host Simron next Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern Time to step through the gateway of conscious living here on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Remember, you are not on the journey. You are the journey.